Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I want you to go in your Bible with me to Revelation chapter 4. I want to read from verses 1 to 2. If this is your first time at Numa Church, welcome. Uh, If this is your first time at a revival service, welcome. Uh, We find ourselves in the middle of a genuine move of God and uh, we're doing our best to steward that and to not get in the way of what God wants to do. And we praise God that he's doing it in us and a little bit through us and we just give him more glory for that. If you're from another church, we just pray blessing and favour upon your church. We want to see it grow and multiply and move forward. And um, just want to speak uh, something that the Spirit of God gave me uh, earlier in the week. And um, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Which, by the way, before we read this, uh, next Sunday, so we have another Thursday night. Uh, revival night this coming Thursday. Then next Sunday uh, in the morning, if you don't have any church to go to, not a part of a church, you're welcome to come back. We've got David McCracken, who's a prophet. He's coming to minister in the morning. Our two morning services here. Obviously, if you're from another Numa location, another church, you, you go do that, do what you need to do. But Sunday night, we have Pastor John Arnott, or John Arnott. Uh, I'll confirm with him how you say his surname, because different people tell me different things. Um, but he was the uh, pastor, he and his wife, Carol, were the leaders uh, of Toronto Airport Fellowship when the Toronto outpouring in the 90s took place. Pastor John is going to be here, 4 p.m. revival service next Sunday night. So um, this, this is uh, not about a personality. God's doing what he's doing without really our help. But God does send people to add fuel to the fire. And uh, I believe it's no accident, it's no coincidence that Pastor John and Carol are coming to minister. And so can I encourage you, let's pack this place out, invite a friend. And I don't know what what is going to happen, what he's going to preach on, but I know that someone who's been in revival for 12 and a half years, six nights a week, 11,000 churches impacted and millions of people, including Nikki Gumbel, who started Alpha out of that move of God, I reckon he might have one or two things to share with us. So uh, why don't we uh, come with humility and hunger and thirst and let's just see God do whatever he wants to do. Who's ready for the word tonight? Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. After this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. Everybody say those three words, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, come up here. Several years ago now, over two decades, uh, and literally, to be honest, for 
all of my adolescent years, uh, I, I was a little bit like Jonah when it came to the call of God in my life. I was running in the opposite direction. And I know many of us in this room can identify with that, relate to that. Uh, when my mother was pregnant with me and she didn't know what gender I was at that point, early in the pregnancy, she had an encounter with God. God spoke to her uh, about the, the child, the son that was in her womb and that she needed to raise him in the church. And three weeks after I was born, my mum walked into the nearest church and over several weeks made a decision to follow Jesus. My dad got um, saved a few months later, 12 months later, they were in Bible college. Two years later, they'd planted their first church. And so growing up, I was always conscious and aware of the call of God upon my life. And in my adolescent years, I loved Jesus. I thought I was following him, but I really didn't want anything to do with the call of God upon my life because I figured it had something to do with ministry. And I saw the pain and some of the stuff that my parents went through. And I went, you know, that's great for them. Awesome. I honor them. I honor all that God's doing through them, but that's not for me. And so, you know, I would study a subject at Bible college and sort of pull out because it was too close to home. And I'd sort of dabble and dip my foot in the water. And, and, and then I decided that I needed to completely change the trajectory of where I was heading. And so... I went into the police academy and went into the police force. And it was while I was in the police academy that a lecturer there asked me to do a speech in, in, um, uh, in one of the squad sessions and lectures. And, and so uh, I came from a house of preachers. We know how to prepare a speech, if you know what I'm talking about, right? So it wouldn't matter if, you know, talking to, trying to sell sand to the Arabs or you, 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 you're trying to, you know, talk about something to do with policing, we're going to get a three-point outline in Jesus' name and we're going to have an introduction and conclusion and we're going to have an altar call in Jesus' name at the end of that speech. And so it came to the end of this uh, talk in front of the, the room full of uh, recruits and the room was getting quieter and quieter and quieter. And here I am thinking, I'm just giving a speech. Little did I know I was about to encounter an open door of destiny. And the Spirit of God possessed that heathen lecture at the back of the... Um, lecture theatre and looked at me as the room was deathly still and said, what are you doing in the police force? You should be like, like a minister or something. And I'm thinking, no, I'm trying to run away from the call of God and the call of God is hunting me down. And I remember after that encounter, I went back to my room at the police academy and began to weep and repent, realizing that God had actually called me and I couldn't run away from it any longer. And I needed to actually repent, which means change my thinking, change my heart, turn away from self. And I need to turn towards God and the call of God that was upon my life. I remember I got in my car and I drove to uh, the mentor who was speaking into my life at that time, my parents' associate pastor. And he was at work still at the church and I knocked on his door. I fell into his arms in a sobbing mess, repenting. And uh, he led me into the empty auditorium and we knelt at the altar and the Spirit of God spoke to me from Revelation 3.8. I'm going to read this to you because it's so powerful. And this is what the Lord spoke to me. I've got it 
written down in my Bible in June year 2000. I know your works, says the Lord. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. I don't know about you, but that's a word. That's a prophetic word. And it set me on a trajectory and a course that over the last 22 years has led us to this moment here today. I want to tell every single believer of Jesus and every single person in this room, the Holy Spirit, God himself, has set before the church in this hour an open door. He is opening a door to every single person in this room in this hour. And we've got to make a decision in this hour whether we are going to go through that door or whether we're going to stand on the outside and and continue to live life on our terms, continue to to entertain maybe our human-made fantasies rather than responding to the commission and the call of God that He wants to give us tonight. The Bible says in this first verse that John had an encounter with God. It says, after this, John says, I looked. After what? After the Spirit of God had given him the seven messages to the seven churches in Revelation. And each of those messages was basically a call back to their first love, a call to renewal, a call to revival, a call to come back into a place of intimacy with Jesus. After this, John says, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. You know, in 1922, Smith Wigglesworth prophesied in the city of Melbourne that at the beginning of the early 21st century, there was going to be such a mighty move of God, revival and outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would start in the great south land of the Holy Spirit, Australia, that would be an end times move of God, an end times revival, an end times renewal that would actually sweep the earth before the second coming of Jesus. That happened a hundred years ago in this city. Smith Wigglesworth, who preached on this platform, literally in our church, Richmond Temple, around the corner, he prophesied that and spoke that in the city of Melbourne. There are two dimensions of time in the Bible. There is chronos time and there is kairos time. Chronos time is the ticking of the clock and the turning of the calendar. Many people live their lives by the natural rhythms and seasons of life. I really believe that we need to have that spirit or that of the tribe of Issachar that had a spirit that could discern the times that we find ourselves in. If you're living by the ticking of the clock and the turning of the calendar, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to upgrade you tonight because Kairos time is that moment where God opens a door of opportunity to us individually, to us corporately, and says, you've got to seize the moment. You've got to walk through the door because this is a pivotal moment in your life. Doors give you access to things. Doors close uh, when they close and when they're shut. It restricts access. Doors that open give you access. God is opening a door to His church in this hour. This is why we need to steward 
here in Numera, here in Melbourne, what God is doing in this hour, not presume, not try and control it, but steward it so that we would seize the fullness of the purpose of what God is trying to bring into the body of Christ, into individual lives and across the nation. Many of us are, are, are not taking that opportunity, that invitation to go through the open door because we think that God is going to hurt us. We think that something is going to happen where, you know, we're not going to be able to maybe do the things that we've had dreams for all of our lives. I had those dreams too. I had those ideas. I had those, you know, human fantasies of what God could do, professional athlete, all those things. And I know God calls some people to that, but but all the time I'm trying to go through a door that was shut to me and the Holy Spirit was opening a door that He wanted to use me, but I had to see it for what it is and realise that it's an invitation that, that has an expiry date. You hear the stories and the testimonies of people that God has used Often God comes to them, people like Reinhard Bonnke and say, you weren't the first person that I called. You weren't the first person that I invited to walk through the open door. Catherine Kuhlman, another person who had felt like she had nothing to offer up Jesus except nothing. She said, if you can take nothing, then take it, here I am. The Lord spoke to Catherine Kuhlman and says, you weren't the first person that I called to do this work. You see, often we think that we can sort of, you know, play games with the call of God. We can play games with the gift of God. You need to know tonight the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. They're without repentance. But there are windows of opportunity. There are doors, Kairos doors of opportunity that you've got to seize in the moment that God opens it to you. Here is John and God comes to John and he says, I'm inviting you. There's an open door standing in heaven. But if you and I are going to walk through the open door, we've got to hear his voice. We've got to hear what the Spirit of God is saying in this hour. Do you know Jesus described himself as a door. I mean, for all the things that you could articulate or describe yourself as, Jesus describes himself as a door. In John 10, 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and find pasture. The greatest door that you could walk through, the greatest door that you could enter through is the door of the person of Jesus. And for anybody here that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Saviour tonight, the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to walk through the door, to enter through the door. Because when you walk through the door of Jesus, you walk into salvation. When you walk through the door of Jesus, you walk into a, a, a family of God called the local church. When you walk through that door, you, life begins to take on an adventure that you, you would never have experienced or tasted otherwise. When you walk through that door, you're no longer dead in your sin, but you're made alive in Christ. Is anybody awake here tonight? Jesus is the ultimate door. But then Jesus opens a door to the Apostle John. But John had to hear 
what the Spirit of the Lord was saying to him, just like this phrase is repeated all throughout the seven messages to the churches in Revelation. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is coming to His church in this hour and He's saying, you've got an open door, a kairos door of favour, but you've got to walk through it. In verse 1 of this passage, it goes on and John says, And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet. Say, well, the first voice. So this means that the Spirit of God has come to John again. When was the first time that the first voice spoke to John? Answer, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. The Bible says that John, again speaking in first person, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice. What did that loud voice say to John? That voice said, I want you to write in a book all of the messages and all of the prophecies that I'm about to give you and send them to the seven churches. So the same voice that called John to actually write down in a book all that God was saying is now the second voice. It's the same voice a second time calling John to come up here and to walk through the open door. How did John the Apostle recognise it was the same voice? He recognised it because of intimacy and proximity. Several years ago, took our kids to the Royal Melbourne show. And uh, anyone who's been to the show knows there's thousands of people. There's music, there's rides, there's noise, there's all sorts of activities. There's show bags, there's distractions, there's losing all your money. There's all sorts of things at the Royal Melbourne show. And for 30 minutes, I'd like to say my wife and I, but it was actually me, uh, I lost our middle child, Zach, for 30 minutes. Now, now you look at him now and he's, you know, pushing six foot million and, and you're like, how can you lose him? But back then, little kids. And for 30 minutes, Zach is lost in the crowd at the Royal Melbourne show. I'm a terrible father. Oh, what I've done, Simone, you know, we're running around and looking for the kids and and I'm thinking, you know, you think the worst, don't you? When this sort of stuff happens, someone's going to take him, all this sort of crazy stuff. So I get desperate. So I start running around the showgrounds calling out his name. Zach, where are you? I'm shouting, Zach, where are you? Zach, where are you? I'm running here, running there. And after 30 minutes of running around calling out his name, Zach bursts through the crowd with tears in his eyes and he runs up to me, wraps his arms around me and says, Dad, I could hear your voice calling out my name. How did he recognise his father's voice? Intimacy and proximity. How did John hear the same voice that called him to write in a book to come up here through an open door? Intimacy and proximity. If you're going to walk through the open door that God is putting before you in your calling, in your intimacy, in your walk with God, you've got to get closer to Him. You've got to cultivate your intimacy. 
You can't just rely on revival nights or revival services to fill you up alone. No, you've got to take the revival. You've got to take what God's doing and you've got to take it into your Monday morning and your Monday night, your Tuesday, your Wednesday, your Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. If, if the only expression of your walk, of your faith, of your intimacy is what we encounter here, we've missed the point. This is about being revived to go out and revive others with what we've received, not just in a night, not just in a service, not just in a day, but in every day of our life. The same Holy Spirit that's here is the same Holy Spirit in your life that wants to meet with you when you open the Bible and you read the Word. It's the same Holy Spirit that when you pray and you worship in your living room or your bedroom wants to speak to you. It's the same Holy Spirit with you when you go to the cafe and when you go to your job. It's the same voice. We've got to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. When I was a police officer, I I worked with a detective who worked on the uh, investigation of two shooters, two offenders, of the Gary Silk and Rodney Miller, who were two police officers who were shot and killed down in Moorabbin in the industrial area down there. And the police actually knew within a matter of weeks who the offenders were, but they didn't have enough evidence completely. And so for two years, this detective, he worked on this case two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, two weeks off, And he would listen to the surveillance devices and the listening devices that the police planted to gather evidence. He never met them face to face. He never saw their faces. But he came to know their voices so clearly, the tonality, the nuances, the distinctiveness of their voices that he said all these years later, if they were to call up on the phone and begin to talk, he would know instantly who he was talking to. When I heard that story, I thought to myself, Shouldn't that be the way that it is with believers and followers of Jesus? That we spend so much time with the way, the truth and the life, listening to His voice in His Word on a daily basis, that the moment He speaks to us, we respond. A lot of people like, how can I hear the voice of God. And there are lots of things that we can teach you and disciple you in to help you. There's lots of prophetic ministries in the room tonight that could equip you and help you and empower you. But I tell you, one of the most fundamental things is you just need more time with the voice. You need more time in His presence. You need more, and you've got to make more time because the, 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 the longer duration you spend with someone, the more that you get to know them. John, the revelator, had spent so much time with the Spirit of God. He knew God, the same voice that spoke to me about this, is the same voice that's speaking to me right now about this situation. Wouldn't it be tragic for you to spend your life, your Christian life, serving the Kingdom of God, serving King Jesus, but not knowing His voice? That's actually a scary proposition because Jesus said on that day, that day when we have to give an account for our lives, many shall come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? 
And Jesus said, and I'll say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. So ministry fruitfulness cannot validate your relationship with Jesus. A room full of people attending a service doesn't validate my intimacy with Jesus. It amounts to nothing if I don't know His voice. What a tragedy to spend your life hanging around the church, but you don't walk through the open door that God has for you because you didn't recognise His voice. Intimacy and proximity. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Hearing God's voice is a promise to believe. I really wish Jesus had said, My lions hear my voice. But he said, My sheep. Many of us are like, God, Why don't you speak to me? I'm telling you, God is wanting to speak to you more than you even want to hear from him. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're in pursuit of a deeper relationship with Jesus, you will hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them implies you've cultivated intimacy and relationship with him. He knows you. You know him. So you hearing his voice is indicative of him knowing you. Therefore, on that day, he will not say, depart from me, I never knew you. Which means you can actually move in the power gifts, prophecy, discerning of spirits, casting out devils, and not know the Jesus behind the power gifts. Not know the giver of the gifts. But my sheep, Jesus says, hears my voice, I know them, And they follow me. What's that? That's a heart to obey. It's one thing to hear the voice. It's one thing to cultivate the proximity and intimacy that you need to be known by God and to know God. It's another thing to obey what God is saying to you. Some of you tonight in this room, I can feel it in my spirit, have heard the voice, know that God's speaking to you, but you haven't obeyed the last thing that God asked you to do. And the Spirit of God is coming to you tonight and saying, I am opening a door to you. I want to commission you. I want to do something new in your walk with me, but you've got to walk through the open door. You've got to have a heart to obey. And what was it that consisted of the invitation that God's Spirit gave to John? He said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. What's happening here? God is inviting John, he's inviting you and I to see things from his vantage point. Many of us approach uh, earthly problems with earthly thinking, earthly perspective. This happens in a relationship, we're hurt, we want to get back. So we respond in a fleshly, earthly manner. Something happens with a bill, limited finances. So we immediately panic, freak out. We respond with an earthly response. Whatever the earthly problem is, 
majority of us, the default of our flesh, we're going to respond from an earthly perspective. The problem with that is Albert Einstein's quote when he says, the problems of the world can't be resolved with the same thinking that created the problems in the first place. You cannot resolve earthly problems or even supernatural problems with the same thinking that may have created the problems in the first place. You've got to get a higher vantage point. You've got to come up here. You've got to see what God sees about that problem. You're going to get God's perspective. I mean, even Isaiah the prophet declared as the Spirit of God spoke through him, come up here. For why? My thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and so are my ways. Is there anybody awake tonight? It's arrogant to think that all of our thoughts God has favoured and ordained and blessed. Now he thinks very differently to us. That's why he needed John, John the disciple of Jesus, John the one that Jesus loved, John that saw Jesus do all of these mighty works. He still needed John to come up here and get a different perspective. I'm about to show you things, John, of what is about to take place in the earth in the last days, but I need you to see it from my perspective. God is coming to the church in this hour. He's coming to individuals. He's coming to people. He's saying, the door is open. You're going to hear my voice, but you've got to get my vantage point. You've got to stop looking at your problem as if your problem is Mount Everest and you're down here at the base of Mount Everest looking up at that mountain and you've got to start to see that this mountain of problems in your life from my perspective because otherwise you're not going to be able to navigate the end time hour that we find ourselves in. If we're not thinking God's thoughts, if our ways aren't becoming God's ways, we are not going to be able to flourish and navigate as the people of God in the times that are coming. Spirit of God spoke to me. I've been getting vivid dreams and the Spirit of God spoke to me this morning about how short the time is. And he said, I'm going to do an accelerated work of harvest in this season, but I need you to be obedient to what I ask you to do. And that is not just a message to me. That's a message to the church. Church business as usual isn't going to cut it. We need the Spirit of God to, to show us what things are about to take place. We need to get a vantage point. We need to get a perspective and we need to keep on going into all the world and making disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We need to keep preaching the gospel to all creation, but we also need to get closer to the flame, closer to the Spirit of God to come up here and see things from His perspective. Have you ever heard that saying, you know, that person's so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly use? Maybe they've started to say that about us. I don't know. But I think the opposite is equally true. You can be so earthly minded, you're of no heavenly use. So brilliant, great, you're practical in earthly things, but heaven has no use for you. One of the primary things about coming up here and getting his vantage point is we're discerning what's on his heart first. And then we join with, with 
Jesus prayer, the Lord's prayer, when it says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you're going to partner with that and see a manifestation of heaven on earth, first of all, you need to come up here and see his perspective. Intimacy, proximity. When the disciples were presented with 4,000 people, seven loaves and three fish, they approached the problem according to earthly circumstances. What are these for so many? This is a problem, Jesus. You've got to do something about this. And Jesus looked at seven loaves, three fish and 4,000 people and saw an opportunity. We've got to stop being impressed with the problem and we've got to start to become enamoured with the promise. And God is looking for a people in this day, in this hour, that is so consumed, so filled with the promises of God that when a problem comes, it's no, we don't miss a beat. We don't stumble. We don't retreat. We don't crawl into a corner and have a pity party. We say the same God who fed the 5,000, the 4,000, parted the Red Sea, opened blind eyes, opened deaf ears, made the lame walk, healed a woman with an issue of blood, miracle after miracle, the same God from Genesis to Revelation is the same God that can turn this situation around in my life. Are you more impressed with the problem or are you looking at it from God's vantage point of the promise? And in fact, when, when you start to live in the fullness of the promises of God, you'll probably encounter more problems because the Spirit, that the spirit of this world is not going to be happy. And the spirit of this world is going to rage against you and work against you. Do you think God's happy that you're in the room right now having an encounter, getting set free? Do you think that there might be some resistance this coming week or in the coming weeks to, to this newfound experience that you've had with? Of course there will be. But don't become enamoured with the resistance. Become enamoured with the promise Come up here, begin to see God's vantage point because He wants to show you what's on the other side of the problem. God keeps speaking to us about this building is too small. It's becoming a problem. But all I see is the promise. All I see is what's on the other side. All I see is what God wants to do. We're going to stop. You want to live a miraculous lifestyle? Stop being impressed with your problem. Stop looking up at your problem like it's Mount Everest. And God looks down on that and said, I created Mount Everest. Didn't create your problem, but he created Mount Everest. And if he can do what he did as creator God, then he doesn't look at your problem in your situation, scratch his head and going, go get an angel with the mangy wing. I don't know what to do. I need a consultant. Someone get the journal out, write down some notes. I don't know what to do. We need a brainstorming session here. God knows what you need before you ask Him. God knows where you need to be, when you need to be there. God already has the answers to whatever problem. But you've got to come up here. See, revelation was given not just to speak to of what was to come. Revelation was given so that the church would know what to do in the end times. Oh, I tell you, God's speaking right now. Think about Jonathan and his armor bearer. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, 
Jonathan and his armor bearer, along with 600 other Israelite soldiers, are hiding away in a cave with their father, with his father, King Saul. They're hiding in a cave and there's a rocky crag on one side, a valley in the middle and a rocky crag on the other. Philistines are on top of the mountains, on the cliff face. And here is the nation of Israel, their finest, their best 600, locked away in a cave. And Jonathan may be in a cave, but he has God's vantage point on the situation. And he says to his armour bearer, the Lord can save by many or by few. How about we go pick a fight? And the Bible says that Jonathan said to his armour bearer, if the Philistines say, wait down there, then we will stand still and we'll wait till they come down to us. But if they say, come up here, then we will know that the Lord is going to bring about a great victory in Jesus' name. I added that. That was from the New Testament. (laughs) And so they go to pick a fight. They come out of the holes and the caves, just one man and his armour bearer. And his armour bearer said, do all that's in your heart for I'm with you. I'm looking for some people that would say, do all that's in your heart for we're with you. And the Philistines said, look at these guys. Hey, come up here. Jonathan said, that's all I need in Jesus' name. And he climbs up. And the Bible says that Jonathan struck the first blow and the armour bearer finished him up. I'm telling you, you don't necessarily need God to come down here. You need to come up here where He is. You need to go through an open door. You need intimacy and proximity. You need to leave some of the things that are dragging you down and distracting you. And you need to come up here and to see the vantage point on your relationships, on your life, on the church, on on what is going on in the world. Because if we don't see as God sees, we're going to miss our Kairos door of opportunity. It's interesting that the Bible says, come up here and I'm going to show you, which means there was going to be a prophetic impartation of sorts. It's interesting on Super Bowl Sunday at midday when the power of God broke out, after I came to, I saw God's perspective on things and for 90 minutes prophesied into a a phone the Word of the Lord about what was to come over the next 25 years. I'm telling you, if you want to discern more of what God is about to do in your life, what God is about to do in the earth, we need to come up here. Is this helping anyone tonight? And here's the thing. Once you accept the invitation, and once you walk through that open door, intimacy and proximity, your vision will never be the same. I think differently. The last four weeks, I feel like I've got saved all over again. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like I just, I got saved. I don't know what it was before, but it's different. Seeing things differently. I mean, those who know me know I, I don't jump around and dance around like that and fall over all the time and take my shoes and socks off and walk on the platform and make a fool of myself. But there's something happens where you encounter God, you don't care. Because you've got a different vantage point. You've come up here. You're not, you're not thinking according to how does this look because you're not worried about how it looks. You're more concerned about 
serving God's purposes in people's lives. And what did John encounter in his vision? What did he see? He got a vision of Jesus, not a vision of ministry. See, once you get a vision of Jesus, it ruins you for everything else. Once you return to your first love, once you have an encounter with Jesus, once you see those eyes ablaze and his words, his words, his words like water. Once you encounter Jesus, a vision for ministry, it doesn't really excite you as much. It's brilliant. It's awesome. Thank you, God, for calling us to plant 200 churches and see a whole lot of people saved and all that. That's awesome. That's great. But compared to a vision of Jesus, some of you in this room, you're more enamored with your vision for your life than you are a vision of Jesus. There's a big difference between being in the flesh and being in the spirit. I think sometimes the goals that we've created for ourselves, we've actually created them in the flesh. But when you get in the spirit on the Lord's day, and you accept the invitation to come up here, walk through the open door, all that you'll see on the throne is Jesus. And when you get a vision of Jesus, everything in your life changes. It ruins you for everything else. The Bible says in John 6, 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. And tonight in this room, the Spirit of God has called people through an open door to come up here to get his vantage point, not just to see generally and corporately what he's about to do in the earth, but to also see what God wants to do in your life. Some of you have already seen it from a distance and you don't like it. And you're walking away and you're retreating. And the Spirit of God is saying to you once again, just like He came to Jonah a second time, just like He came to me in Revelation 3.8 and says, I have set before you an open door. I know that you have little power. You have not denied my name. And I'm calling you through that open door. And the Spirit of God is saying, tonight I want to commission you, walk through the open door. Walk through the open door. Some of you will need, as you come to the end of this year, leave your secular employment and come and study at a Bible college somewhere to answer the call of God. Others of you will need to make decisions about stop messing about in that relationship and this relationship and get serious about your relationship with Jesus. Some of you will need to stop being the master and Lord over your finances and trust God with your finances and actually start tithing to your local church. I'm being serious. Some of you need to stop making excuses for being busy and why you don't spend any time with God and you need to actually walk through the open door. And you need to say enough is enough. I am not missing this open door. I'm, I would, you know, to be honest with you, I would hate to think what, where I would be if I hadn't walked through that open door in June year 2000. I often look back and I think back, what would have happened if I had said, no, I'm not doing that. It doesn't matter how many spirit-possessed lecturers you send God, I am not doing that. I would have missed 22 years of glory. 
and all that God is wanting to do. Do you think that God is going to stop all of his sovereign purposes for your temper tanty because you don't want to do what he wants you to do? Oh no, he'll just find somebody else. And some of you are like, well, let him, because I don't want to do it. Yeah, but you're going to miss. You're going to get to heaven and you're going to, he's going to speak to you and say, I had all of this for you. But you refuse to come up here. You refuse to walk through the open door. You know, if you're going to ascend, if you're going to come up here, you've got to lay some things at the altar tonight. You've got to lay it down. You say, God, I accept the invitation. And I'm telling you, once you do, watch what God does in your life. Everything will shift. Everything will change. You may not necessarily feel it straight away, but you watch. If you live a surrendered life, you watch what the Spirit of God does. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.